This audiobook of the original America Burning was produced by the Firefighter Podcast Combustible. More details on this project can be found online at www.combustiblethepodcast.com. The audio for this recording is consistent with all copyright rights and permissions associated with America Burning and is not affiliated with or endorsed in any way by the federal government or the U.S. Fire Administration. Chapter 14. Forest and Grassland Fire Protection Despite the urbanization of the United States, vast areas of the country still resemble the primeval wilderness. Of the two billion-plus acres that make up the nation, more than half consist of forests and grasslands. Cities, highways, and waterways constitute only 500 million acres, farmlands and small wooded lots roughly the same amount. In recent years, forest and grass fires, ignited at the rate of about 300 a day, have been destroying an average of 4.7 million acres annually. In national forests alone, resources lost by fire amounted to more than $700 million in 1970. Fire destroys the prized hardwoods of the northern forests, the pines that supply pulp mills in the south, the western species that go into plywood, and other lumber supplies. The losses, already considerable, will grow critical as the nation's consumption of industrial wood products rises. Presently, that consumption amounts to 10.7 billion cubic feet of timber annually. By the year 2000, that consumption will nearly double to 20.8 billion cubic feet. Grassland fires destroy valuable rangeland, robbing domestic animals and wildlife of their food supply. Not only is vegetation removed, but heat from range fires often dries out root systems and lays the soil bare. In turn, the barren soil, eroded by wind and water, pollutes the air and streams. Erosion delays natural regeneration, sometimes stopping it altogether, leaving the soil sterile. As urban sprawl encroaches on wildland areas, forest and grassland fires can pose a direct threat to man. In Southern California, during a one-month period of critical fire weather in 1970, 1,260 fires burned more than 600,000 acres, killed 14 people, destroyed more than 900 houses and other structures, and generated the potential for an aftermath of erosion, floods, and mudslides. That same year, the Laguna Hills Fire in San Diego County burned 225,000 acres and caused an estimated $100 million damage to dwellings, other buildings, field crops, utilities, bridges, and other facilities. As with other kinds of fires, man is the chief culprit. Nine out of ten forest and grassland fires are caused by human action, figure 14-1. About a fourth of these man-caused fires are set by arsonists. A slightly smaller fraction results from people burning debris. Those fires not caused by man are usually caused by lightning. 10,000 such fires a year, resulting in about $100 million losses annually. In the West, in fact, lightning is the leading cause of forest fires. Lightning-caused forest fires were a natural and frequent occurrence in North America over the millennia prior to the arrival of the first ocean-crossing settlers but European civilization brought with it a propensity for making this natural phenomenon a problem. Over the years, debris from logging and land clearing, treetops, limbs, and chips, multiplied the accumulation of dead fuel waiting to be ignited and to rage with great intensity. The encroachment of home sites on wildlands and the use of forests for recreation have continued, and they have magnified the threat of devastating fires. Ironically, our nation's efforts in the 20th century to save our forests has contributed to the problem also. 
for the longer a forest remains protected from fire, the more dead fuel accumulates on the forest floor, thereby increasing the hazard of a major blaze. The chaparral forests of Southern California, for example, deposit as much as 1.3 tons of litter per acre every year. Other species in the Sierra Nevada deposit twice that amount of litter. In recent years, the practice of prescribed burning, to make forests more productive as well as to dispose of dead fuel, has won more and more adherence. With forest lands in such abundance, the prevailing view in 19th century America was that forests could be harvested without replacing trees and that forest fires posed no serious problem. That view now threatens to be replaced by an equally erroneous notion, the romantic idea that the best management of nature is no management at all. In a year's time, an acre of forest can convert solar energy into vegetable matter equivalent to as much as 300 gallons of gasoline in potential energy. Like a helium balloon being inflated, a forest accumulates an ever greater fuel load with each passing year. To leave forest preservation to the whims of nature, or to depend solely on campers being careful in forests, simply courts disaster. Man must intervene directly with forest and grassland environments to preserve these important resources. Accumulated residue, as we have mentioned, can be burned off through prescribed burning or piling and burning. Both require skilled operators, careful control, and favorable environmental conditions. Another approach is to replace vegetation that is highly flammable with low-lying plants of low flammability. In addition to reducing fire hazards, such conversion projects can improve soil stability, increase water yield, improve the habitat for wildlife, and increase the production of forage. Still another method of intervention is to clear strips of forest land of all vegetation to create fire breaks. A modification of this is the fuel break, strips of land in which only plants of low flammability are allowed to thrive. A very different approach to discourage forest and grassland fires lies in weather modification, specifically in inducing rain to counter the hazards of a dry season or in suppressing lightning. But the approach is controversial. First, because effects are unpredictable. Second, because efforts that have good effects in one place may have bad effects elsewhere. In Colorado, for example, potato growers have taken barley growers to court, claiming that the latter's efforts to suppress hailstorms reduced precipitation so drastically that potato crops were ruined. The Bureau of Land Management, an arm of the Department of Interior, has launched an effort to abate lightning and to increase precipitation in Alaska. Tests in the mid-1960s showed that seeding clouds with silver iodide nuclei could reduce cloud-to-ground lightning strikes by as much as 60%. These efforts will have to be carefully monitored to determine whether they have any undesirable effects. The Agencies That Protect Wildlands Responsibility for fire protection on federal land lies primarily within the Departments of Agriculture and Interior. Other agencies, such as the Department of Defense and the Tennessee Valley Authority, are involved to a lesser extent. Each of the 50 states also has an agency responsible for fire protection of wildlands. The Forest Service, a division of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, protects 203 million acres in 154 national forests and 3.8 million acres in 19 national grasslands. The Forest Service has a congressional mandate to seek a balance among competing needs, such as timber, watershed management, protection of wildlife, and recreation. To provide fire protection, the Forest Service does not hesitate to alter the natural environment. For example, in fiscal year 1970, 
It converted 34,941 acres of highly flammable brush to perennial grasses. At the end of that year, the Forest Service reported that the national forests contained 3,882 miles of fuel and fire breaks. Government experts, however, estimate that an additional 22,000 miles of fuel breaks are needed to prevent decimation of our forests. The Forest Service also has cooperative agreements with each of the 50 states to provide fire protection for lands in all major watersheds, 570 million acres all told. Federal support to the states takes the form of financial assistance on a cost-sharing basis, training, inspection, implementation of research results, and the development and procurement of fire equipment. Also in cooperation with the states, the Forest Service conducts the Smoky Bear Educational Program, which has been credited with saving $17 billion in fire losses. Further, the Forest Service has a Fire and Atmospheric Sciences Research and Development Program. It supports basic and applied research on a broad range of subjects, from fire prevention to forest surveillance, and from hazard reduction to suppression methods. In addition to research in its three major laboratories, the program supports work by university scholars, industrial research groups, and fire control agencies. A total of 554 million acres comes under the jurisdiction of the Department of the Interior. Its Bureau of Land Management provides fire protection for 455 million acres, and its Bureau of Indian Affairs protects 48 million acres. Through contracts, these two bureaus protect an additional 110 million acres of state and private lands. Finally, the National Park Service and the Bureau of Sport, Fisheries, and Wildlife provide protection to 14 million and 30 million acres, respectively. As Table 14-1 indicates, the protection record of the 50 state fire agencies and the two major federal agencies, the Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management, has been improving significantly. The improvements over the past two decades would be even more impressive were it not for a number of very large fires in 1968 and 1969. Indeed, it is the occasional fire that gets away which presents the greatest problem in wildland management. An accumulation of highly flammable vegetation or a long dry season are open invitations to such fires. While large fires, over 300 acres, account for less than 1% of total fires, they account for 60% of the acres burned and a high percentage of the total loss of life and resources. Firefighters also have their hands full when there are multiple ignitions, as, for example, when lightning strikes in several places or when sparks from damaged train wheels set fires along a railroad right-of-way. Nearly every wildland fire is a candidate for status as a major fire if the conditions are right. Against that possibility, measures must be taken. First, in order of priority, is fire prevention, reducing the number of starts. Second is preparedness. This includes intervening in the environment so that, if a fire starts, it will not rage out of control. It also includes early detection and response. Third in order of priority is initial attack, that is, stopping fires while they are small with adequately trained and equipped forces. The fourth measure is suppression of major fires. Fire Prevention Smoky Bear is a great success story in the field of wildland fire protection. Yet the average of 300 forest and grassland fires a day shows that the message is not getting through to everyone. While much information has been gathered concerning the effectiveness of Smoky Bear, the audience reached is not precisely known. This audience must be identified and a program devised to extend the coverage to other groups who cause forest and grassland fires. 
In support of such an effort, the Forest Service has conducted studies concerning the personalities and background of those persons known to have caused wildland fires. The results of these efforts must find a way into all school courses that deal with the ecology and into other appropriate educational media. Hence, the Commission recommends that the proposed United States Fire Administration join with the Forest Service USDA in exploring means to make fire safety education for forest and grassland protection more effective. The effectiveness of fire prevention on non-federal wildlands, in fact, depends heavily on the adequacy and enforcement of state fire laws. At present, several states, California, Florida, Georgia, and Oregon among them, have excellent fire laws. Other states lag far behind. The Commission recommends that the Council of State Governments undertake to develop model state laws relating to fire protection in forests and grasslands. These laws should require, as a minimum, permits for debris burning, the use of fire safety devices for mechanical equipment operating in wildlands, strict zoning and building regulations, the construction and maintenance of fire breaks, and the establishment of access and escape routes. Provision should be made for such emergency measures as shutting down logging operations or rescheduling the hunting season during times of severe danger. Once these laws are enacted, they will only be as effective as the enforcement. Several have testified to this commission that, in many high-hazard areas, enforcement and court cooperation are inadequate. The commission urges interested citizens and conservation groups to examine fire laws and their enforcement in their respective states and to press for strict compliance. If fire prevention efforts are to be effective, they must be aimed at the real, rather than imagined, causes of fire. This, in turn, means that accurate and detailed reports of forest and grassland fires must be gathered and analyzed. The National Data Collection System, recommended in Chapter 1, applies to wildland fires no less than to other kinds of fires. Preparedness. The rate at which natural fuels build up depends, in part, on the type of vegetation, its growth rate, and its rate of decay. It also depends on climate. Rainfall and temperatures obviously influence growth rates. What is not so obvious is the fact that decay is faster in warm, moist than in warm, dry, or cold, moist weather. Were it possible on the basis of a few indicators to predict far in advance which wildlands are building up fuel to hazardous levels, then it could be determined which wildlands should get first priority for modification, whether prescribed burning, fuel breaks, or other appropriate means. Educated guesswork for such predictions already exists. What is needed is firmer grounding in science. The Commission recommends that the Forest Service USDA develop the methodology to make possible nationwide forecasting of fuel buildup as a guide to priorities in wildland management. One element important to the success of such forecasting is long-range weather prediction. That elusive goal is the subject of numerous federal research projects. In the meantime, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration is devising a National Fire Weather Service to aid fire control agencies. The forecast and advisory field services portion of the program is lagging, and another portion that should be pushed is a research and development program to apply improvements in weather technology to fire weather forecasting. The Commission supports the development of a National Fire Weather Service, in NOAA, and urges its acceleration. Preparedness also depends upon adequate surveillance of fire-prone lands. Increasingly, lookout towers are being supplemented by aircraft surveillance, including planes equipped with infrared sensors. 
the feasibility of using satellites for infrared detection of fires merits exploration. Over the years, the Forest Service has given increased emphasis to preparedness. In general, larger investments in pre-suppression efforts should be matched with a downward trend in the cost of emergency suppression of large-scale fires. Evidence of the value of preparedness comes from a long-term look at the record of the Forest Services, Table 14-2. If 1971 fires had burned at the 1951 average acreage per fire rate, 172,000 acres would have been lost instead of the 36,266 acres actually burned over. At the 1956 average acreage per fire rate, 102,000 acres would have been lost. Initial Attack and Suppression Under conditions of drought or high winds, forest and grassland fires can move with unbelievable speed. Winds have been known to carry fire along treetops more than a mile from where the fire is burning at ground level. Fires have leapt 300 yards across freeways. A vital ingredient in effective suppression, therefore, is early detection, followed by swift initial attack with sufficient firefighting forces. In addition to well-trained firefighters, effective initial attack depends on access by road or trail, plus the equipment that can be deployed, tractors, plows, and aircraft, for example. Air tankers and helicopters dropping water or chemical retardants have proved especially valuable in limiting the spread of fire. The efficiency and effectiveness of amphibious air tankers have been increased in many areas through the use of water scooping capabilities. Helicopters have also proved valuable for rescue operations and transport of firefighters. Recognizing the important role of these aircraft, the Forest Service and cooperating agencies have begun a program to upgrade aircraft, provide more landing strips, and improve the effectiveness of retardants. In addition, some Air Force planes are being equipped with modular tank equipment to supplement strike forces for severe emergencies. The Ecology-Minded Public More than for most kinds of fires, there are grounds for optimism about the efforts against forest and grassland fires. The capabilities of federal, state, and local control agencies are excellent. More heartening still, Americans have taken a new interest in the preservation of the nation's unspoiled wildlands. They are visiting state and national parks as never before, thus straining the park's capacities and leaving them a little worse for wear. As the nation's population grows, pressures will grow to give over wildlands to human settlement. Yet, it is clear that future generations will need more unspoiled recreation lands, not less. Americans know their obligations to others. They know that litter left behind today will be an annoyance to park visitors tomorrow. They know that a carelessly tossed cigarette or a campfire not adequately doused can turn a rich natural environment into a black wasteland. Care with fire is more than a moral imperative. It is a sound principle of ecological management.